You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 78, Klein Venedig, part one. What links an oil-rich country in the northern part of South America, the Italian city of Venice, and a German banking family? How could these seemingly disparate things link together to form a story set in the 1500s? Well, today we find out by moving eastwards from what we covered in the last couple of episodes into today's Venezuela. We began those last episodes by recapping previous Spanish activity along the Caribbean coastline. A sequence of explorers, including Columbus, had sailed along the coast, and some attempts had been made to colonise it. These had largely failed, more due to Spanish infighting than any inherent difficulties although the city of Santa Marta had just about clung on. This is the same background information we need to start the story of the conquest of Venezuela. These modern borders did not exist, of course, and so those explorers did not confine themselves to Colombia. They had passed along Venezuela's coast as well. Santa Marta is actually right over on the eastern side of Colombia's coastline, and technically, Venezuela could have fallen under its jurisdiction when the king was assigning land to the conquistadors. As we saw last time, however, Santa Marta's early growth was slow, and it doesn't appear that the Spaniards who occupied it made any attempt to expand much beyond their little town. The earliest attempts to found settlements were actually made even further to the east. Today, Cabo de la Vela, is a tiny coastal village without electricity and water, and its population is almost completely made up of the Wayu indigenous people. It sits on the Guajira Peninsula, and the border between the two countries is very close. Part of the peninsula belongs to Venezuela. This was where earlier attempts had been made to found a Spanish settlement. Considering the peninsula is a desert, and the area around Santa Marta is much less hostile, It seems a strange place to pick, and it didn't last long. The first real Spanish activity within Venezuela's borders 
was not a state-backed conquistador expedition like those we've seen elsewhere. Instead, individuals took the initiative by going there in small groups to make money. The coastline was both close enough to Santo Domingo that people could reach it relatively easily, but at the same time it was far enough away that there was no colonial oversight. You can think of it a bit like the American West. The area was claimed by Spain, but it had no real government presence there, and so people could do what they liked, and it was probably quite lawless. There were two things which drew Spaniards there. First, pearls were discovered along the coast. Secondly, the encomiendas of Santo Domingo and the rest of the Caribbean needed labour. Obviously, the Spanish didn't want to do the hard physical work themselves, so there was a market for captured and enslaved indigenous people. The people of the Venezuelan coast did not live in large organised societies, like those in Mexico and Peru, and so for unscrupulous Spaniards, this made them easy targets for slave raids. There was, of course, resistance, and the various Carib people who occupied parts of this coast were noted for their ferocity. But it wasn't enough to stop the raids being worthwhile. For the most part, those who came, either for slaves or pearls, did not really attempt to settle there. They came to gather the things they were looking for, and then went back to their home bases in Santo Domingo. A couple of staging posts were established at Coro and El Tocuyo, but these would have been little more than base camps. Spanish activity began to increase when gold was discovered on the island of Trinidad. Today, Trinidad, along with the neighbouring island of Tobago, is an ex-British Caribbean country. But it is extremely close to Venezuela, and the Spanish were the first Europeans to claim it. The gold in Trinidad brought more people, who then got involved in the pearl and slave trades. They established more bases at Cumana and on the island of Cubagua, which sits adjacent to it, and where more pearls were discovered. Cubagua actually grew quite rich for a brief period, and its population swelled to around 1,000. The settlers began to move out onto the neighbouring and much bigger Isla Margarita, and the Spanish went as far as organising a government there. Interestingly, when the person who was given this died before he could make it there, it was passed on to his child daughter. This is the first example I've come across of a woman being put in charge of a colony. However, as she was not yet an adult, it seems that she ruled through others who made the decisions for her. Kumana on the mainland did less well. Here the indigenous people mounted fierce resistance, and although they were unable to force the Spanish out, they did make them live in fear, and they limited their expansion for a period. The Spanish were obliged to build a fortress there to protect themselves. What we have then for the first couple of decades is a relatively slow and unorganised growth of settlement and conquest in Venezuela, with some proto-governance, but a good deal of lawlessness and transience. This conception of Venezuela as a place which profits could be extracted rather than a place to properly settle and integrate into the Spanish Empire would persist in the minds of the Europeans for quite some time. In some ways, nothing will change for a while, but in others, things are about to change dramatically.
tell this story, we need to begin by explaining the links between the things I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. When all of this was going on, Venezuela had already been given its name. It was actually Ojeda, who you might remember from earlier episodes, who gave it its name. At the southeast base of the Guajira Peninsula is the vast Lake Maracaibo, actually a huge enclosed bay which empties out into the sea. One of the indigenous peoples who lived there were the Anu. They lived literally on the lake, building houses on stilts over the water. Their towns and the channels between them reminded Ojeda of Venice and its canals, and so he named the place Little Venice, Venezuela in Spanish. To understand how the German connection comes in, we have to have a look at what was going on in Europe at the time. I have talked about the King of Spain a bit throughout the episodes on the conquests of Central America, Peru, Mexico and Colombia, but only really in so far as his decisions affected events in those places. You might have the impression that his conquistador's activities in the New World were the most important thing going on for him. Without doubt they were very important. For him, however, the politics of Europe would always take priority. And while Europe was always a fractured and violent place where countries were usually warring, things were particularly tense during the time in which his reign took place. Charles V was the King of Spain, but this was just one of his titles. Thanks to a complex series of wars and inheritances, he also controlled much of Italy, Burgundy, which today encompasses the Netherlands, Belgium, parts of France and Germany, Austria, Czechia, and parts of Hungary and Poland. On top of this, he was the Holy Roman Emperor. The Holy Roman Empire is way too complex of an entity to explain properly, but for our purposes, we can describe it as a strange confederation of city-states, duchies, and other government forms, which elected an emperor from among their number and which encompassed Germany, Burgundy, Czechia, and parts of Poland and Northern Italy. All of this basically means that he was extremely powerful, but also that he had a lot on his plate, and that he was involved in pretty much everything that went on in Europe. There were two big things going on. Firstly, in the East, the Ottoman Empire was rising. The core of their empire was Turkey, and while this area had been part of the Christian Byzantine Empire since Roman times, the Turkish Ottoman people had come in from Central Asia and taken it over. They will be one of Europe's superpowers until the First World War, and they were, of course, Muslim. As well as the Middle East, Arabia and North Africa, they expanded into Greece, Bulgaria, Romania, southern Ukraine, and all of the small Balkan countries which made up Yugoslavia in the 20th century. Because religion was so important back then, this wasn't just a geopolitical threat, which it most definitely was, but it was also seen as a holy threat to a European continent, which defined itself so fundamentally as Christian. The Ottomans seriously looked like they might push even further into Central Europe, and so Charles spent a good deal of time fighting them. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place. 
to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When they talk about this Christian identity being so important to Charles, I'm referring to the Roman Catholicism, which had dominated Western and Central Europe for centuries. This hegemony, though, was now under attack from not just without, in the form of the age-old conflict with the Muslim powers, but also from within. A new form of Christianity had emerged within the Catholic heartlands, and it rebelled against the power and corruption of the Catholic Church. Various Protestant movements took hold all over Northern and Western Europe, and they spread rapidly. I mentioned how the Holy Roman Empire was a sort of conglomeration of semi-independent powers, and that this meant that each had quite a degree of autonomy. Because of this, they were constantly politicking against each other, and looking for ways to grow in power at the expense of each other. Some of the rulers saw an opportunity, and they converted to Protestantism. Charles, being both particularly attached to Catholicism, and also not wanting to see any diminishment to his power, did not like this at all. Things were made even worse when King Henry VIII of England, in his attempts to give birth to a male son and heir, and to seize more power for himself from the Pope, decided to jump on this new movement. The Pope had refused to allow him to divorce his wife and he blamed her for his lack of a son. Given that it took six wives to achieve this, the problem probably lay with him. Disobeying the Pope, and getting divorced anyway, meant breaking from the Catholic Church, and creating his own Protestant Church of England. England was a middle power in Europe at the time, and its official state rejection of Catholicism must have infuriated Charles. It was, however, still a relatively peripheral place, and as much as he probably would have liked to, Charles was too busy fighting the Protestants within his own territory to try and do anything about it. Not through lack of trying, he would never successfully suppress Protestantism, and today, although it is becoming more and more atheist, Europe is split religiously, 
along the lines which formed during his reign. Britain and Northern Europe is mostly Protestant. Southern Europe is mostly Catholic. All of this is a very long-winded way of saying that Charles needed money. Lots of it. Presumably, he would have encouraged the conquests of Latin America anyway, but he had a great incentive to grant charters to conquistadors and demand his royal fifth of all the wealth which the colonies produced. He needed it so that he could fund his European wars. This probably affected the character of the Spanish Empire in a couple of ways. It would always have been difficult to control things on the ground because of the distance between Latin America and Spain, coupled with the difficulties in communication back then. It's possible, however, that perhaps, if he had not been so distracted with Europe, he may have established a more centralised model of conquest. This links to the second element, which defines the early Spanish Empire, and which may have taken a slightly different form if it had Charles's full attention and his ideals had not been compromised by the need for money. I don't wish to paint Charles as a virtuous person by the standards of today. The conquest of Latin America was, after all, an exercise in dispossessing everyone they came across in the Americas, and forcibly taking control of their land. We have seen already, however, that occasionally he did pull his conquistadors up for mistreating indigenous people. Just as he fought so fiercely for Catholicism in Europe, he justified the project in Latin America as one to win new souls for the church. The nonsense requiramiento ritual, which he ordered to be carried out, said that if the indigenous people it was read out to accepted him as their overlord, and importantly, the Catholic God as their own, they would be safe from violence. Obviously this requires a certain amount of entitlement to begin with. There was no option for the indigenous people to choose to be left alone, and the whole thing was fundamentally flawed by the fact that it was read in Spanish, a language which the people it was read to would never have heard before, let alone understood. It is, however, possible to make a distinction between this and the actions of most conquistadors, who were happy to use as much violence as possible to personally enrich themselves. The men who we looked at earlier in this episode, raiding the coast of Venezuela for slaves and pearls, make a perfect example. Charles's vision may have been aggressive, paternalistic, and one of empire-building, but it was some sort of vision, and he saw himself as having some sort of justification. As long as the indigenous people submitted, some rights and limits to abuse were supposed to be established in law. The conquistadors in general did not have any such vision, and time and again they disobeyed him, disregarding these rights and going past the limits. We can never say with certainty, but perhaps if Charles hadn't been distracted by Europe, maybe he would have enforced the laws he had written a bit more effectively. It still wouldn't have been great, but perhaps it would have been better than what actually happened every time conquistadors met indigenous peoples. The money which Charles gained from the New World was helpful, but even that wasn't enough. He needed more, so he borrowed it. Sometimes when I research this podcast, the parallels to today surprise me, and I realise that there really is nothing new under the sun. Without wanting to get too political, I think it's reasonable to say that one of the defining features of the world we live in is the power which banks and large corporations have managed to accumulate through their economic power. 
Often this means that these actors can put pressure on governments and influence their policies. Well, it turns out that this is not a new phenomenon. Similar things were happening 500 years ago. There were two families from southeast Germany who had done exactly that. The Welsers and the Fugas, who hilariously were also known sometimes by another name. Think of a rude word which sounds similar to Fuga. Both collected huge amounts of wealth over the preceding centuries. They had started off as small-time merchants, but moved into banking as their wealth grew, and they made clever investments into industries as diverse as mining, cloth, the spice trade, and slavery. They had lent Charles lots of money for his wars, and sensing an opportunity, they came together to approach him with a proposal. In lieu of money, perhaps he would like to pay off some of his debt by giving them the rights to the remote, and to put it in economic terms, underinvested territory of Venezuela. Just as the capitalists of today look for undeveloped opportunities, which they can purchase cheaply and build into something which creates wealth and increases in value, so too did the Velsas and the Fugas. You can see then why this was an attractive proposition for them. For Charles, this also made a lot of sense. By granting them Venezuela, he was giving up a future source of revenue, but to get that revenue, he would have to spend time and money doing the development himself. If you look at his empire in Latin America as an investment, which it seems that people back then did to a certain extent, then he already had an enormous amount invested. All of his conquests were growing, so he would hardly notice the loss of this relatively small part. What he didn't have was liquidity, reserves of cash right there and then. By transforming his debt from a need to hand over money into a grant of land which he was making nothing from at that moment, and which, to him in his current situation, was much less valuable, he was making his life much easier. Besides, he would still remain in overall ownership of it. The charter he granted to the Germans was one which gave the rights to exploit the area, but not to own it outright. You can think of it as a sort of lease. In 1528, the contract was signed, and control over Venezuela was given to the Velsas and the Fugas. They took the little Venice name which a header had given the area, and translated it directly into German. It became Klein Venedig. Next episode, we'll tell the story of what they did with it. If you've enjoyed today's episode, and want to show your appreciation, one thing you can do is leave a review, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps the show grow, and for new people to discover it. If you've really, really enjoyed it, and you're feeling generous, it is possible to leave a small donation to help cover the costs of running the show. There's a link with information about how to do this below. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, 
you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash m-a-x-s-e-r-j-e-a-n-t photo. Thanks for listening. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit Radio Beats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.